Let me just give you a really, really brief recap of what we've studied up to tonight. Um, I, I know that you, you hear the same thing every week, but not everybody necessarily has heard everything that we've gone through. Uh, but we're going to be very brief on this part tonight. But we, we have talked about, in this series, about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And we talked at some length about that. And he's mentioned immediately as the Old Testament begins, the Spirit of God brooded, uh, uh, moved, hovered over the face of the waters. And, the, and so the Spirit of God uh, appears immediately. We, we've talked about the symbolism, the Holy Spirit in symbolism uh, throughout the Old Testament. Wind, fire, oil, water, and a dove. We talked about all those. And each of those symbols, we've talked about how each of those symbols shows, a very, shows various aspects of the Holy Spirit, things that He does in people's lives. And, and we talked about the, word, the Hebrew word ruach. And that's not really, I mean, I'm not saying it the way you normally, you, that a really Jewish person would say because it would come out, you know, way down here in the throat. So I'm just saying the English pronunciation of it. But that means wind. It also means breath. It also means spirit. So the breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God, all the same word. We talked, didn't really talk much, but we mentioned, uh, talking about oil, the symbols. We talked about uh, the oil of anointing and the oil of healing. Uh, because, because one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is, is healing, and another uh, ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit is anointing for power and ministry. Uh, fire, that symbol talks about the ministry of sanctification. Water represents, excuse me, <coughs> water rep <coughs> represents cleansing and refreshment. And, and then, then there's the dove, an almost universal symbol across cultural lines for peace. The Holy Spirit is is the, the gift of peace. You know, we, 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 the fact is God does not want his children to live all tied up in knots and living in, in anxiety. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on us as he rested on Jesus at his baptism because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he said, my gift to you is peace. Not the peace that the world gives, but, and, and that peace is not simply absence of strife, but it's it's peace. It's, it's, a, it's a settled peace in your heart. We dealt with all that. Then we, then we began to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And we're not going to talk much about that. But, but I want to read a passage of Scripture. This is actually the last passage that, that I talked about last week, but I didn't actually read it last week. It's from Acts chapter 19. So I want to read that passage of Scripture to re refresh your mind just a, a wee bit. And then we're going to begin right there talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 19. This is what it says, Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? <clears throat> they said, into John's baptism. And, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized, that's water baptism, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, that's spirit baptism, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And by the way, on a, just a little side note, not anything we're going to talk about tonight, but verse 7 to us, that last word, uh, verse, there were about 12 men in all, means almost nothing 
to a group of 21st century Gentiles, but it was actually extremely important in the time in which it was written uh, for the market for which it was written because a, a, a Jewish synagogue re- required 10 men called a minion. So, you know, not, not grew and his minions, but it's a different kind of minion altogether. But it required 10 men for legitimate spiritual business to take place. Uh, for, there to, for there to really be a synagogue, you, you have to have 10 adult males. That is, men who are above the age of bar mitzvah. So, so when this outpouring of the Holy Spirit came, Luke wanted Jewish readers to know that it was okay because there were 12 men in all. So he says there were at least 10 men there. And I know that there are ladies here uh, probably tonight that aren't sure there is such thing as an adult male, but we're only speaking chronologically. So um, anyway, I, I want to get down to some brass tacks tonight in talking about this thing that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are multiple ways to refer to it because there are multiple verbs used in the New Testament and used throughout the book of Acts and, and, through, and in the epistles. And there is obviously the first, which is baptism, and that means immersion, or, or the, the Greek word is baptizo, uh, and it means to be plunged beneath. So that there is this sense that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an immersion into the Holy Spirit. In the same way that water baptism is when you're immersed under the water, spirit baptism, Holy Spirit baptism uh, is, is when you're immersed into the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think of it like this. I think a great way to understand this. If I, if I were to take a sponge and I, and I plunge that sponge into a bucket of water, here's the question I have for you. Is the sponge in the water or is the water in the sponge? The, and Jordan got the answer correct. The answer is yes. It's, it's both. You, know, you, can't, you can't separate them out. Therefore, <clears throat> as we are immersed in the, in the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not just simply uh, an immersion to simply wash over us, you know. Uh, that's one of the differences between water baptism and spirit baptism because in water baptism, if you're immersed in the same way and the water fills you, then you, you don't come out alive because you can't live with water, you know, uh, infiltrating your life. But... But that's not what the Holy Spirit baptism is about. To be immersed in the Spirit is not just to have Him simply wash over us and be gone, but it is an immersion that becomes an an infilling. An infilling is the second verb that's used to describe this. In other places, it uses that actual language. Uh, It says they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, both those places use that. So, so is there, there is this sense in which there is a coming within. Not just a coming upon, but a coming within. There's this fullness. Let me, let's just talk about that fullness for just a moment. Fullness is not simply the opposite of emptiness. It's what we would think, but, it, but it's more than that. It has a sense of, uh, of, of full purpose, of power, of, of destiny, that there's something beyond it. That, that there's something that has, that has come within me and I'm different within. A, a fullness of peace, a fullness of power, a fullness of presence. That, that where, where there was a lack, there is now that, that sense that I am completed in Him. Something has happened within me. I'm coming, I'm coming back to all these probably, but, but I just want to introduce them to you. And then there's this phrase that is used elsewhere in the book of Acts, and that is the phrase, coming upon. 
and it says in places, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. To me, that, that has a, a sense, a, kind of a, a feeling to me, of almost of a cloud. You know, it makes me think of the, the cloud of the presence, you know, with the, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud when the Israelites, but it's, it's as the feeling of a, of, a, of a cloud, as the cloud of the presence of the Spirit comes upon them, and the presence of God just sort of washes over them. So I, I remember uh, I heard Dr. Rutland one time tell of a, of a time when he was in a worship service on, on uh, Chipinque Mountain in, in Monterey, Mexico, and he was there, and they were having this worship service, this prayer service on the, with a bunch of seminary students, and as they were worshiping, a, a cloud hit the mountain down below where, where they were. They, they were so high up that they could, they could actually see the cloud hit the mountain. On the, but, it, but when it hit the mountain, it didn't dissipate. It just started sort of rolling up the mountain, the side of the mountain there. And, and, and they, they, they actually stopped singing and, and just watched as this cloud kind of rolled up the mountain toward them and just eventually just engulfed them. Now, now, it was just a cloud. It was not the Shekinah presence of God, but, but there was something wonderful, something beautiful about that moment. Everybody began, everybody began to pray and, and to worship. But it was really, it's really just a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody where it just, he, he just, it just surrounds them completely. So baptism, fullness, coming upon. And then there is the phrase poured out. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Now that shows up, by the way, all the way back in the, in the book of Exodus. Uh, if you'll remember, Moses chooses, at one point in time, he chooses 70 elders to help govern the people of Israel when he's in the wilderness. And, and, and when he chooses them, they're set apart, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them for the anointing, uh, for, for eldership and for prophecy. They actually began to prophesy there in that moment. But, however, if you remember the story, and if you don't, you can go look it up. But there were these two, two blokes that, that were just standing too close to them. Do you remember this story? Anybody remember this story? Uh, they, they, there were these two guys that were just standing there watching what was going on. And apparently they were just too close. And, it, and the image is, is almost like God tips over this big pitcher. And the Holy Spirit pours out. And he hits with such suddenness that he just sort of splashes out on these two fellows. And so the, the, the lesson from that is, don't hang around Pentecostal churches if you don't want some, because it might pour on you. Um, they, 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 you can say, hey, I'm just visiting, but it may suddenly splash on you. Now, I'm just making a little bit of a joke there, but, but there is this sense of this pouring, this refreshment, uh, the, the sense of a sudden rush of the Spirit pouring over a person. So, so those are, are all the, these, these words and phrases that reveal to us different aspects of the coming of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. But what I want to do, and this is really going to take most of our time, and what I want to do tonight as part of this teaching is I want to share with you the stories um, of the, when I received the Holy Spirit, but also I want to tell you about when my wife received the Holy Spirit, uh, the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going, to start, I'm going to start just by telling you my story. Um, I was raised in an Assemblies of God church uh, from the time I was born. Uh, my earliest memories, I was exposed to the work and the movement of the Spirit in our church services. I remember those services where the Spirit moved and people were, 
you know, really, uh, you know, God, he just did some amazing things. I, I saw that. I've, I've been witness to that all my life. And, and, you know, we were like most Pentecostal people back in those days. And that was that if the church doors were open, my family was there. We were there no matter what. And, you know, they didn't have these short, you know, four days revivals back then. They would be two weeks long if you had one at all. And if there was something going on, if the church was open, if there was a church service, we were there. That just wasn't even an option. I remember as a kid, I remember I got saved. Uh, I was baptized in water. I was filled with the Spirit by the time I was 12. And, I, and listen, as a child, as a young, very young child, I, and, and even into my preteen years and early teen years, I loved Jesus. I want you to know, I still do, but I, but I really loved Jesus and I'm saying this just to kind of set up what happened. But uh, I mean, I remember, I remember being in church and, and singing the old hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. And as a 10 and 11-year-old boy, singing that song and just being so moved that, that the tears were just flowing. You know, I just rem- I, that's, I have those. So I have some very powerful spiritual roots. I have a solid foundation for my life. But when I was 15 and a half, that's when I got my first real job. Now, before that, I had these little paper route things, but, but uh, you know, they, they really, they were sort of, sort of jobs, you know. But this was my first real job, and I got a job at Sonic Drive-In, which, by the way, I know how to make their onion rings, so we can negotiate a price later. Uh, but, uh, but, but I got a job there, and everything was fine for a long time after I got a job, but, but I began to work a lot a lot. I mean, I just filled in for people. I just worked and worked and worked. And by the time I was 16, I was the assistant manager for the store. And, uh, and when, I, when I was doing that, I was working 60 hours a week and going to high school full time. Um, it, it, was, it was impossible. It was an impossible situation. It could not last. But during that time, needless to say, when, I, when you're doing that, I just really didn't have a lot of time for anything else, and it included church. I just didn't have time for church in those days, so I rarely attended church, and as a result of that, my relationship with, with Jesus really began to suffer, and at first, you know what it was? Here's the way it always works. At first, it was small compromises. It was little things here and there, nothing really big, but eventually what happened is all of that eventually mushroomed until I found myself participating in things that I never dreamed I would do and things of which today I am ashamed. And I'm not going to tell you what they are because that's not what this is about. I always hate it when people give testimonies and and they spend all their time talking about how bad they were. And just at the end, they just say, and then Jesus saved me. And it's like, well, you didn't give any glory to God in that. You just talked about how bad you were. But but I'm saying all these things just kind of set the stage to understand, understand what was going on in my life. And uh, but, but my spiritual slide into apostasy continued, and the truth was I didn't realize how far I had backslidden until one day we were there at that sonic drive-in, and a conversation arose amongst several employees about spiritual things and, and about the Bible and about Jesus. And now most of them, uh, there was only, as far as I know, there was only one Christian on the crew there, but I don't think he was even working that night, but most of them were not saved, and there was, they had no church background. And so let's just say there was a, a, a tremendous amount of skepticism regarding Jesus. And the conversation continued until one of the people asked me. You know, they were all talking about it, and I just wasn't really participating in the conversation. And then finally one of them looks at me and says, what about you? 
You don't believe in all that Jesus stuff, do you? I remember that moment, it's like, it's like frozen in my mind. I remember I was standing there next to the steamer. And, and you ever wonder why Sonic's hot dog buns are soft? It's because they steam them right at the last minute. And, and uh, that's how they melt the cheese on things. And I was standing at the steamer and I was preparing a chili dog. I remembered it was, it was as if time stopped. And, and, and what happened next was I could not believe what I heard coming out of my mouth. Because as I, as I pushed the handle down on that steamer to release the steam in that, in that uh, machine to, to melt the cheese on that chili dog, I heard myself saying, nah, I don't believe any of that stuff. And, and I was shocked. I could not believe what I had heard myself say. And, 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 and honestly, in that moment, I feel like I understood, at least in a very small measure, how Peter must have felt when he heard the cock crow after he, denying Jesus for the third time. Well, the rest of that shift, I was very, very quiet as I pondered what was going on in my heart. And I knew, I knew right then and there that I needed to make things right with Jesus. But even though I was raised in church, I just didn't really know how. And part of the reason was because, probably the main reason was because my friends had such a hold on me that I was afraid to take a stand and say what I really believed. And I was afraid to take a stand and say, listen, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to live like this. I, and I didn't think, and I think I was correct, I, I could not make, ever make the changes that I needed to make while I was living there inside my sort of uh, ecosystem of friends. Well, it was around that time that my mom came to me and she said that uh, she had heard from the pastor in church that morning. He made an announcement that there was a church summer camp coming up in the southern Missouri district and asked if I would think about going. And then she really, you know, played dirty pool and put the pressure on me by saying that my younger brother said he would go if I went. And honestly, here's the honest. My first reaction was I was completely revolted by the idea. My, my first reaction was like, absolutely not. I don't want to do that. I mean, we, we were attending a small church at the time. Well, at least my parents were. I wasn't really going much. Uh, and I knew there wouldn't be anybody there I knew. I've never, never been to camp before. I didn't have friends in other churches that were going to be there like a lot of kids do, that sort of thing. And, 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 and on, on top of that, honestly, I just didn't want to leave my comfortable place. I wanted something to change. Here's, here's how crazy we are when we get to that place. I wanted something to change, but I wanted it to change without anything changing. You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy, this, this wild mindset. Well, slowly, however, though, after that, I be, after that conversation, I began to realize that this might be my opportunity to get away from the influence of my friends and to make things right with God. So eventually I told my mom I would go. Now, outwardly, I'm just going to be honest with you. Outwardly, I was still such a coward that I began to tell all my friends that my mom was sending me away to youth camp. Yeah, I'm going to be gone for the week. My mom's sending me to camp. And I made it, I laid it all, she didn't care. You know, she didn't even know, actually. That's why she didn't care. But, but I laid it all on her and I played the victim card and everybody thought my mom was such an ogre to be forcing me into this horrible situation. But, but inwardly, what was going on inwardly, I began to realize this is my chance. This is my opportunity to, to make things right with God. This is my opportunity to make some changes in my life. So I went to this Southern Missouri District uh, 
uh, of the Assemblies of God youth camp. I remember the very first night, uh, the first night of services, and we went into the building. They, they, it was, they called it the tabernacle. That's what they called it. You know, it wasn't church or chapel. That's, that's what they called it. It was the tabernacle. And I remember the speaker that year for our, the youth camp I was attending was a man named David Grant. Anybody here ever had the opportunity to hear David Grant speak? Nobody, oh, that's just really sad because uh, he, is, uh, he is quite, an, let's just say hearing him speak is quite an experience. He, uh, he, he's a longtime missionary to India, uh, but during that time particularly, he was sort of in his prime physically, and he was, he was very active in speaking at youth camps and youth events and, you know, youth conventions, those sort of things during that time. David Grant is a very small man probably not more than five foot five inches, maybe even shorter than that. But, but he is a dynamo of energy and enthusiasm. And he has this great sense of humor. He has a way to tell stories. And he told a lot of stories from his childhood growing up in the church, that sort of thing. But and he's, just, he's a very, very engaging speaker. But more, more importantly than that, he's a very anointed speaker. But I, rem- I remember that service starting that night at camp. And I remember singing during the worship service and all the while in my mind, I was thinking to myself, tonight's the night, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get things straight with God. Tonight's the night, tonight's the night, tonight's the night. And, and so David Grant finally gets up there after all the other stuff that they do. And if you know, if you've ever been to a youth camp service, they do all kinds of things because there's no time limit. You're not going anywhere uh, after, after service is over. You're just going outside, you know, and going to the snack shack or whatever you're doing. But but he finally got up there to speak, and, and I remember uh, as he began to speak, the, I just remember the, the presence of the Holy Spirit just filled that, that tabernacle. And he began to deal with me very intensely. I, I mean, it, it was so powerful, I could hardly stand it. I felt his, his presence, and he was pleading with me and drawing me and convicting me and his work in me was so strong that I just all I did the whole service while he was preaching I just sat there wishing that this guy would hurry up and give the altar call that's all I was wanting give the altar call dude I want it I give the altar call you know and honestly the only reason I even know what he spoke about that night is because later I bought the recording uh, of the service be, to listen to it because I had no idea what he said because I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think straight. All I knew was that I had to get to that altar and I needed to get on my face before God. That's all I knew. Well, a fi- time in the service came where he finally started giving the altar call and, and honestly, I didn't really even wait. As soon as he said something along the lines of, he, he spoke that night on on uh, rivers of living water flowing out from from so he he started the altar call with something of talking about if you want rivers of living water to flow from your life come and as soon as he started i mean i i hit the aisle and i just i just practically ran down the aisle and uh and when i when i when i hit that altar i i honestly i just can't even begin to explain to you what happened it was like a bomb went off in my spirit I fell to my knees, buried my face in the altar, and I began to weep in the agony of a soul that was so dry and so thirsty and I, that was longing for the reign of the Holy Spirit. And, 
Honestly, I, listen, I was repenting all the way down the aisle. I didn't, I didn't get to the altar and repent. I was repenting all the way down. Jesus, I'm so sorry. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I, I confess my sin to you. I, I was all going in, on in my spirit all the way down the aisle. And so by the time I, my knees and my face hit the, the, the floor at the altar, by, as soon as I did, the Holy Spirit came upon me in such power I was overwhelmed and began to speak in other tongues and began to mourn my sin before God. And he filled me and he, he began to heal the broken places in my heart and began to empower me for the fight that he knew was going to come when I went home from camp. And, and I was just so hungry and so thirsty that I just stayed there. I stayed there until the, until the wee hours of the morning. I, I just I wept and I prayed, and, and I repented, and I also began to intercede for my friends for who, because I knew they were far, far from God. And for hours I stayed there because God was doing such a deep, deep work in my life. And by the way, I just want to interject this here because there are certain points I want to bring in a teaching point into the testimony. I, I, I believe that a huge part of the ingredients that are necessary for a person to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is hunger and thirst for Jesus. When we are hungry for more of Jesus, we, when we are thirsty for more of God, when we feel like the psalmist who said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. When we, when we say like the psalmist, God, I'm like that deer that's going to die if I don't find some water. That's how I feel. If I don't get more of you, I can't live without you. I can't survive without you. I need you. I have to have you. And when we get to, when we get to that place, that's when God pours his spirit out on us. I mean, why would he pour out his spirit on us if the only reason we want it is because we want a neat spiritual experience? We want to be able to say, whoa, we sure had a great service today. Why would he pour his spirit out if that's the only thing we want it for? Why would he pour out the Holy Spirit if the only thing, reason we want it is because we love all of the emotions that often flow from a moment like that? Why would he pour his spirit out on us if we're only seeking him for reasons like that that are really self-centered? However, listen, when we come into his presence and we say, God, I have to have more of you. I don't care what happens to me anymore. I don't care if I live or die. I don't care if I prosper in this world. I don't care if I'm comfortable. I don't care if people like me. I don't care if people understand what's going on. I don't care if I'm popular. I don't care what other people think of me. All I want is you, God. All I want is you. In that moment, God will pour out His Spirit on us in power and in abundance, and it will, it will be a life-changing moment. It certainly was for me. And, and maybe, maybe you're here tonight or you're watching this on the live stream and you don't feel that kind of hunger. Well, if not, then maybe the place to start for you is to start praying and saying, God, please help me to become hungry for you. Help me to become hungry for you instead of hungry for all the things of the world. Or maybe 
Maybe you felt that kind of spiritual hunger in the past, and, but you're, you're now beginning to realize that you've lost that zeal and you've lost that craving, that passionate desire for Jesus. And if that's where you find yourself, I think Jesus would say to us the same thing he said to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, where he said, but I have this against you that you have abandoned your, the love you had at first, or as the King James says, you've left your first love. He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If you're not hungry, the place to start is, is in repentance and going back to our first love and doing the things that we did when we first found Jesus that fueled our love for Jesus. Because oftentimes the reason we lose it is because we stop doing things that pour fuel on that fire. Well, let me get back to my story because it certainly did not stop after the first night of that prayer, uh, first night of prayer at youth camp at that altar. Every night that week, I went to the altar, regardless of what the altar call was. I didn't care what the altar call was. It didn't matter. I wasn't listening for, for what he was saying. You know, if, if the altar call was if you need healing, I didn't care. I, was, I, was, I, was, I didn't need healing, but I wasn't going up there for healing. Every, every time, it didn't matter what the altar call was. I was going up to the altar every night because, because I wanted more. No, I, I needed more. And every night that week, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I would be, I would be uh, praying in tongues, but, but in my mind, what was happening, I was crying out. I was praying for my friends. I was praying, oh, God. Oh, God, in my mind, now I'm speaking in tongues outwardly, but in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, God, save my friend David. Oh, God, save Walter. Oh, God, save Tammy. These were three of my closest friends, and I was praying for all my friends, but these three especially. And, 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 and listen, I wasn't praying some great, long, powerful theological prayer. These prayers were simple over and over and over and over again, all I did was pray, oh God, save them. Oh God, save them. That was going over and over in my mind. Oh God, save them, save them. And I prayed Monday night and I prayed Tuesday night and I prayed Wednesday night well into the wee hours of the morning. And it's not because I'm so spiritual or there's anything special about me, but simply because God was doing something really deep in me. Well, finally, Thursday night rolled around, and if you know how camp works, that's the last night of camp. Usually you get dismissed around noon on Friday, but so that was the last evening service we were going to have. And I went to that altar just like I had all week long and began praying and began weeping and began pleading and interceding for my friends, and, and everything was exactly as it had been on the th previous three nights. And However, that night, after a short while of praying, uh, in a short time there at the altar on that uh, Thursday night, I was, I was praying for my friends. And as I was praying my, for my friends and praying in the Spirit, I heard the voice of God speak to my, me in my spirit. And somebody says, was it an audible voice? And I always say, no, it was much louder than that. But it was this thundering, this voice in my spirit where I heard God, I knew what He was saying to me. He said, I've given you their souls. And, and honestly, just like that, the weight and the burden that I'd had all week long was gone. And I said, thank you, Lord. And then I got up and for the first night all week at camp, I got a hamburger at the, sna at the snack stand. Well, finally, the next day, we, we went home from camp. 
When I got home, we got to the church and I called my house to let my mom know that she could come pick me up. And, and uh, she told me that, uh, that my brother and my best friend David had purchased tickets for this. I'm not going to go into the details of what it all was, but there was this massive concert they had in Kansas City there every year. It was a big, massive event. It was where all the partiers and all the drinkers, all that stuff was going to go on there at this big concert. And they had bought tickets for that. And, 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 uh, and not only that, they had, they had set up a date for me with this girl that they knew I was interested in. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you see, what was happening was that the devil was already attempting to lure me back into the old ways of, of living. And, and, and he knew the right buttons to push. However, even though I felt the tug of desire pulling at my heart, I'm not here to tell you that all I looked at, that I heard that and said, nope, nope, I'm good. No, there, there was something that tugged and said, oh man, that sounds like a really good time. But I felt that tug, but, but I, I told him over the phone, after a moment of hesitation, I said, no, I, I, I don't want to go. And I'm here to tell you the power to do that came from the Holy Spirit, not from me. Because everything in my flesh said, go, that's going to be a blast. Well, my mom came in, she picked me up at the church and took me home. But when I got home, what was interesting was that my brother and my, and my friend, they were still waiting for me at the house. They stayed around in hopes of talking me into going with them that night. Uh, now, by then, after that first initial time, which this is a huge lesson for us, because as we deal with temptation, the more we say no, the easier it gets. But, I, but I, by then, I had I would already felt so much more strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And so they, they told me, and then I, it, confidently, I told them, I don't want that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to live like that anymore. And so they just sort of reluctantly walked out the door to go to the concert without me. Well, they had been gone for only a moment or two. I mean, I don't think they even made it all the way out to the car when my friend David, who was my best friend in the world, he came back in and asked if he could talk with me privately. Um, and, and so I told him, sure, we can do that. We can go upstairs, talk in my bedroom. Funny thing is later he told me that he was convinced that I had been brainwashed. <laughs> that's, why he, that's why he wanted to talk to me. But we, we went upstairs and, and we walked into my bedroom and we stood there and, and he, he, was, he was several feet away from me Probably, you know, just probably six feet or so, not, not far, but just standing there. We didn't sit down. We just stood there and, and, we, and we looked at each other straight in the eyes. And, and I began to prepare myself for the inevitable, inevitable conversation where he was going to try to convince me to go with him. I, was, I hardened my resolve and was ready to tell him, David, I just don't want to go. I mean, I was ready to go, ready to fight it back. And then he said something that completely, for which I was completely unprepared. Because he looked me straight in the eye and he said, I just want to know one thing. Are you happy? And I said, David, I've never been happier in my life. He said, that's all I want to know. And he turned around and left. They went to the concert, which, by the way, um, another thing I feel like the Holy Spirit had a, had a hand in this. They had the worst time of their life. They said it was absolutely horrible. Well, the next day, David called me and he asked if, if uh, he could come by to the house on his way to, uh, to work. He worked at Sonic as well. And he was, uh, was wanting to know 
if he could stop. And I said, sure, sure, yeah, come on by. And then I went, as soon as we hung up with the phone, I went to my mom and asked her to pray with me. My mom, by the way, had been praying, fasting and praying for me for over a year by this point in time before God was able, did this work in my life. She never gave up praying. She fasted uh, her breakfast every single day and took that time to intercede for me. But she prayed with me um, because, you know, I didn't know what he wanted to talk about. He didn't tell me that, but I knew that I wanted to share my testimony about what God had done in my life. I wanted to tell him about Jesus. And so, so my mom prayed with me and, and uh, we prayed that he would be open, that he would be receptive. Well, he finally arrived at the house and we, we sat out on the front porch. We sat on the porch swing and and, uh, and you know what, actually, I just want to say, I, I actually believe, I, if I remember correctly, I, I even called my pastor and said, my friend is coming over, would you pray with me? I got as much prayer going as I could. Anyway, he arrived, we, we sat down on the porch swing on the front porch, and, and, and we had just begun talking. I mean, barely started a conversation, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to bring Jesus into the conversation and talk to him about Jesus, and we barely get started, and all of a sudden, he blurts out, before I can say anything, he says, so do you, do you think it'd be all right if I went to church with you tomorrow? And I'm like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> you know, I was like, hey, no, wait, I'm supposed to ask you. You know, that's how it felt like. And I, I was so caught off guard that I just sort of stammered out some, some answers. Uh, uh, sure, you know, just like I didn't know what to do. I was so, so caught off guard by it. Well, to make a long story only slightly shorter, uh, let, let me just tell you what, what happened that very next day. Um, on the very first Sunday after I got back from camp, got back Friday, that Sunday following, the first Sunday after I heard the voice of the, of the Lord speaking to me and saying he had given me the souls of my friends, that first Sunday, all three of my best friends gave their hearts to Jesus. I'm here to tell you, God still does miracles and he still changes lives. And, and by the way, I want to point something else out to you. We, we in the Assemblies of God, you know, we often get so caught up talking about the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we talk about that being speaking in tongues. And sometimes we get caught up in that and we kind of make that the goal and we make that the focus. But we often forget to talk about the spiritual evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because listen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever terminology from the New Testament you want to use, there are two things that always happen. I'm not saying there are other things that don't. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you two that always happen. Every time. Every time it is truly the work of the Holy Spirit in your life doing, the, doing this, it happens every time time. The first is you will receive a burden for lost people. That's one of the spiritual evidences. Romans 5, 5, 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, God's love will fill your heart and fill your life. Now, I want you to think about that because we often translate that one way, but I think there's a greater depth of meaning to that verse than we often think of. 
because uh, we, we think of it as meaning we will experience God's love more. We will understand it more. And I think that's true. But the more you are immersed in the Spirit of God, the more you will experience God's love. But that does not only mean that you will feel loved, that you will experience His love, that you'll understand His love, but I also believe it means you will experience God's love for humanity. That you will experience how much He loves the lost people of this world. You'll begin to see people the way that God sees them. And when you begin to see people the way God sees them, that changes how you treat them. That changes how you see the world around you. And your heart will begin to break for the people who are lost and they're on their way to hell because that's what breaks the heart of God. You'll become impassioned about reaching people for Jesus because you will have God's love and God's zeal for them overflowing in your life. So that's the first thing that happens. Second thing that happens is that you will be, then be empowered to carry out this newfound passion for reaching people for Jesus. You'll be empowered for it. Jesus said this in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, he did not say you'll receive power so that people will see how spiritual you are. He did not say that you'd receive power to make you feel good. He did not say you'd receive power so that you could have Holy Ghost goosebumps. He, he, he did not say that you'd receive power to make much of yourself. He said you would receive power from the Holy Spirit to be his witness. Now hear the distinction. Not to do witnessing. Because it's not just about what you do, it's about who you are. You will be a witness not just what you do, that's what you say. You know, you're wit you, when you go witnessing, it's all about what you're saying. But to be a witness means that your very life, everything in your life points to Jesus. All that you say, all that you do, all the choices you make, it's all about pointing to Jesus. The, the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life will make you more effective in, in reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. When you share your story, when you tell what Jesus has done in your life, when, when, when the, then the Holy Spirit will supernaturally empower your words to convince people who Jesus is and to convict them of their sin and to convince them that they need Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. Sometimes we try to do that. But when I try to do the work of the Spirit, it just makes people mad. But when the Holy Spirit does the work of the Spirit, people get saved. My job, see, sometimes we like, oh, I don't know. I'm just not very eloquent. I don't have the right words to say. You, you, that's, that would, that's only a valid argument if your witness depends on you being eloquent. 
Your witness does not depend on you having all the right words. Your witness depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, looking back on my story, I, I can see the work of the Holy Spirit in my life in both of these ways during that week of camp and even in the days following. I mean, why all of a sudden, after all this time that I've known them, why did I suddenly care about the eternal destiny of my friends? Why? That was just, that was new. I had never, never really cared before. Why did I spend hours crying out in agony for Jesus to save my friends? Why? Where did that come from? Well, it was because the Holy Spirit was helping me catch a glimpse of God's passion for them to be saved. It was, he, he, he was, he was the Holy Spirit giving me a small taste of His heartbreak over the lostness of my friends. That was a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Secondly, how in the world did my friends make a decision to follow Jesus so quickly? Well, you know, it certainly wasn't because of my eloquent presentation of the gospel. I mean, I stammered, uh, uh, sure, <laughs> you know, that's all I did. It wasn't because I had memorized the four spiritual laws and had the right presentation down. Nothing wrong with that. That's all good. But it was because the Holy Spirit was drawing them, convicting them, wooing them. And the Holy Spirit was empowering my life in such a way that they could see that everything I was saying was real. Now, what I want to do is I want to fast forward a number of years, and this is, some of you are like, man, this is being forever. No, we're almost done. But I want to fast forward a number of years, and the reason I want to, I, mean, I even want to share this with you is because I want you to see something. I want, it's a teaching point for us. But uh, fast forward in, uh, quite a number of years uh, where I was serving at a church in Fredonia, Kansas, a youth pastor. That's where I met the love of my life, Julie. And, and Julie was a young Christian, but she was hungry for God. She, she, I, I rem, and I remember just making her story much shorter than mine because she knows all the details of her story way better than I could. But I remember explaining the baptism of the Holy Spirit to her and we prayed together. And I remember sitting in a car in, in a driveway. She received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it was a very sweet, quiet moment. No, no fireworks, there were no tears, nothing like that. And I tell you that to make this point. Julie is the sincerest, spirit-filled, prayerful, spiritual Christian I've ever known. Now, she doesn't wear her spirituality on a sleeve. She, she she's, isn't in your face or anything like that, but there is deep water underneath the quiet exterior. And she's only quiet until you start playing spoons with her, but that's a whole different story. And um, my daughter back there got a big grin out of that one because she's played spoons with her. And that's a different story altogether. But he, this is the thing. Her experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit was like a dove. Mine, I guess, was more like fire. R really more like an artillery barrage, but that's, there's nothing in that, about, about that in the Old Testament. But, but here's what I know. What that teaches us is that God knows what you need. Dr. Tommy, Tommy Tyson used to say, why can't we let the Holy Spirit be as wonderfully creative in everybody else as he is in us? Listen, the, the Holy Spirit 
is not the business of stamping out tiny little Pentecostals with a rubber stamp. The Holy Spirit wants to bring His fullness to bear in, inside your life and explore the parameters of who you are in His power, in His grace. What we have to do is allow Him to vary the level of the, the initial experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and as, we, as we move forward the Holy Spirit, the, the, He does different things in, in different ways in each of our lives, so why couldn't He also get us started in different ways? Now listen, I'm not referring to the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues or anything like that. What I'm talking about is the experience itself. So if you're sitting there and saying to yourself, what's the outcome of all this? I, I would ask you, have you received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and empowerment? And I would say, don't measure your experience against anybody else's experience. But have you received it? You know, there, there was a, uh, an evangelist that was preaching at a Methodist church in, in Alabama. About, he was preaching, he was a charismatic Methodist, and he was preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and as he was preaching, right in the middle of the service, this elderly man stood up and he said, Thank God! He said, thank God, this, this happened to me in my father's barn 60 years ago, and I didn't know what to call it. He said, I've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, listen, I, I'd rather you, you have it right and call it wrong. But my question is, do you have it? Have you received it? You know, when, when Paul the Apostle arrived in Ephesus in Acts 19, the scripture uh, which, with which we began tonight the, his first question to them was, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Or some translations say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Both of them have the implication that there is a work of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do after you give your life to Christ. And they said, we, we, don't, even, we don't know about that. They said, we, we don't even know what you mean by that. What do you mean by the Holy Spirit? Uh, what does that all mean? And so he found out that they were, had been converted through the teaching of Apollos to the baptism of John. And he told them, hey, John was pointing to Jesus. And so anyway, he, le he led them through salvation in the name of Jesus, water baptism in the name of Jesus. But he eventually came back to the place where he began. And he says, now, now he said, you're saved. Now you're water baptized. And it says that then Paul laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And if you heard this, if you're listening tonight and you say, well, what would happen to me tonight if I said, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit? What would I experience? And my answer is this, I don't know. I don't know because I've seen some people weep. I mean, tears flow like Niagara Falls. I wept, but my wife just received him peacefully. I have another friend I grew up in, within church that she, she received the gift lying in bed. She, she had been around the altars seeking and people were praying and nothing happened, nothing happened. She went home that night, went to bed, and when she finally relaxed, all of a sudden, boom, there he was, and it was over. I mean, it was just, it, it's happened so many different ways. We, we, we both, my wife and I, have experienced the gift of tongues, but, but listen, I want you to hear this. Don't make that a deal breaker. And I don't mean, uh, uh, what I mean by that is I've known people that were afraid to seek it because they're like, I don't want to speak in tongues. Don't, don't let that get in the way. Don't that, let that be a barrier. But also don't make that your goal. 
Because that's just, that's just a sign that God's doing something much bigger than that. What I'm asking is, has this powerful experience of the Holy Spirit come? Now, I've seen people cry. I've seen people laugh. I've seen people fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know why we make su- that one such a big deal. I mean, a lot of people call it being slain in the Spirit, but I've never, I've never liked that terminology. I never have. It always, I, when I hear that, it always makes me think of a story by, that I heard Dr. Rutland tell about the first time he ever saw that happen when he prayed for somebody. He, he had been a Methodist preacher, and he, he went to this tiny little Pentecostal church in Mexico, and he, he gave his testimony at that church, and people came forward uh, for prayer, and he was going through and he was laying hands on people and praying for them. And, and, and there was this big lady, he said, that, that when she, he reached up and laid his hand on her forehead, she, she fell backward from her heels like a domino on a concrete floor. And it, her head bounced like a basketball, you know. You know and, and, and he had never seen this before. He had never even heard of this before. And, she, and, and he, this is funny to me, he, he thought that she had come up to the altar like Ananias and Sapphira uh, hypocritically, and and he thought that God had killed her. That's what he thought. And you you laugh, but he was so shaken that he just had to go sit on the stairs thinking, oh my, what what am I going to do now? And so there was this little Pentecostal evangelist with him, and he came over to comfort the Methodist preacher, and he said, so uh, you've never seen that before? And Dr. Rutland was like, oh, oh my goodness, no. Because he, he thought she was dead. And he said, don't, don't worry, don't worry. She's been slain in the spirit. And he said, I thought so, I thought so. It just makes me laugh. I mean, slain in the spirit, that's a very aggressive term, you know. I mean, I didn't even know he, was, he had weapons, you know. Anyway, but what, what does this all mean? It means this. None of those things are the thing. None of those things are the thing. Not, not even tongues are the thing. The thing is not a thing, as a matter of fact. The thing is Him. The thing is the Holy Spirit Himself. Himself. Infilling. Coming upon. Wind. Fire. Oil water, a dove, all those variations. And he knows what you need. Me, I needed that fire. I needed him to come on me in the way that he did because I needed some massive changes. Julie, she's a quiet, peaceful person. She needed the dove. He knows what you need. He knows what you need. Just become hungry and thirsty for him. Begin to pray. Begin to say, Jesus, I want more. Jesus, I want more. And I know this has been a little bit different from the teaching times that we've had in this series, but, but, but I just want to ask you a simple question. Luke eleven thirteen says this, and this is Jesus is speaking now, and you know, Jesus, not the Apostle Paul, not some theologian, but Jesus says this, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Have you received the Holy Spirit? If not, ask Him. Begin to ask Him. Begin to say, Lord, I, this is what I want. And if he begins, if, he, if there's some reason that, that he waits and he tarries and just keeps seeking, don't give up, keeps praying. And, you know, might be in a driveway, might be lying in your bed, it might be in an altar around a, ch a church, in the front of a church building. It might be, who knows where it might be. And who knows what it will look like? Who knows if it'll be a big emotional moment for you or, or whether it'll be quiet like the dove or, or, or it'll be like water or like the cloud coming in and the stillness of that moment. I don't know. I don't know. That's not up to me. Because all, all I know is that your experience when you walk through that does not have to look like mine. I just know he wants to give you a burden for lost people and he wants to empower you to reach those lost people. He wants to give you power to live for Jesus. That's what he wants. So have you received the Holy Spirit? If not, ask him. Ask him. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence, I, I don't know where everybody is. I don't know about where we are in our walk with you. There may be some here tonight and some watching the live stream who, who they realize, boy, you know what, I've really, my hunger and my thirst for Jesus has really waned over the years and I need to get back and do those things at first. I need to come back to my first love. I pray, Lord, that if that's where anybody is, that, that tonight would, begin, uh, would be a moment of repentance where they come back and say, Lord, forgive me for walking away from the things that fueled that passion for you in the past. And Lord, if there's others here that maybe they just don't have that hunger yet, I pray that they would begin to say, Lord, make me hungry. Help, give me a desire for you. Work in my life. Do whatever you want. You have free reign. And, and Lord, for those that are hungry but have not yet received, I pray that, that Lord, that even tonight they would begin to just say, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. I, I want this experience. I understand, Lord, that, that the initial evidence is speaking in tongues, and that may freak me out a little bit, but God, I, I want you more than I want anything else. And so if that's, if that's what it means, I'm good with that, Lord, because I want you to, to empower me. I want you to change my life. I want you to, to fulfill your purpose in me. I pray, God, that as they ask, I know this. If, we, if my children ask for anything, any good thing from me, I give it to them. And you're a much better father than me. And as we ask for this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, you will give it. And I pray, God, that you would help us to continue to seek until you, be, until you fill us. So, Lord, help them to begin to ask tonight. We pray all of this in the strong powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.